0: No more to sab, go ato, arahatur, samma ma, some budha sa. No more to sab, go to As most of you would know, the uh, monastic community here are on our winter retreat, our three-month winter retreat, and we're one month into that, one-third of the way through our retreat. And for part of this period, the um, when we meet in the evening, and the shared contemplation or the, the group contemplation has been around what is known as the, uh, the teachings on the ten parami uh, which many of you be familiar with, the ten, the ten virtues that we understand as traditional Buddhists that the Buddha spent many lifetimes cultivating and in the end these virtues or these forces contributed to the transformation of consciousness which we talk about as enlightenment uh, liberation, the the purification of consciousness that meant that from that point onwards the Buddha simply wasn't capable of operating from a place of greed, aversion or delusion. The heart was, as is described, perfectly pure and so as Buddhists we have confidence in this possibility, this is what we have faith in, this is what we trust in, that it is possible for human beings to experience this realization. It's not just a matter of uh, putting up with the difficulties of life and then making the most of the good bits, but rather that we optimize on this opportunity we have and see this human being, this human existence as like the raw condition that is something that we can cultivate or develop with the trust in this possibility. That perfect wisdom and perfect compassion was the Buddha's experience and here we are many, many centuries later still experiencing the benefits of that. So these forces of transformation, or the Ten Parami, the 10 virtues which, which have been identified and emphasized as really worth focusing on. They're saying is something that, over the last few weeks, we've been contemplating together as a community. And part of what's really important about these virtues is that it's not always obvious their place, their function, what they are, how to cultivate them, how they function. Um, For instance, we might think that the spiritual journey is all about generating energy and determination and having insights and contemplating wise teachings and so on, where, in fact, what, um, what the tradition teaches us is that there are, yes, there are these forces that uh, I like to talk about as these hard powers, but there's also these soft powers which it may not uh, be obvious to us, it may not immediately occur to us that the soft powers are sometimes more important. Like the very foundation, the very beginning of this list of the ten virtues of the laid out. Is, it begins with, uh, with generosity. Hmm. And the second one is integrity. So the foundation of the spiritual life, as far as the Buddha was concerned, was, was not necessarily ardently striving with dramatic efforts to have insights and realise the goal, in one sense, that more or less looks after itself. What we need to work on is what we could perhaps refer to as these soft powers, like generosity. If we don't have generosity, then we move into working on determination and renunciation and effort and and so on. These impressive, uh, nevertheless important spiritual qualities. Yeah? If we emphasise those before we've worked on cultivating a heart of generosity or a heart of gratitude, well, sometimes what's happened, and it sadly does really happen in spiritual life, that people end up contracting this tangle of me and my way, this this knot that we all suffer from, this, this knot in the heart of an addiction to me and my way. If we haven't got a heart of generosity, a heart of gratitude, the whole thing can become a lot worse and or if we don't have for instance an appreciation of the place, the function how to cultivate integrity um, action of body and speech if we don't really appreciate how profoundly important that is uh, we can maybe build up a lot of energy and have great aspiration for liberation and we can emulate, try to emulate the Buddha and try to emulate the great teachers and the great monks and nuns that have gone before and, and uh, wise, profound masters and so on. But if we don't have a real grounded sense of understanding of the place of integrity, again, the whole experiment can go terribly wrong. So contemplating these hard powers, and yes, they're very important, but also slowing down enough to really attend to these soft powers like generosity, like gratitude, like gentleness, uh, learning how to be gentle. Uh, Sometimes we... get overly zealous in our efforts in the spiritual life and we're going to conquer and overcome and achieve. And It's true that a lot of spiritual teachings are couched in a, what sounds like a, a militaristic language it sometimes come across that way. But I don't know, maybe that's just the way it sounds like when you read books, because my experience of when I've met spiritual masters, they there is this extraordinarily beautiful sense of gentleness and and kindness that defines their character. So these virtues, these soft powers, these hard powers, these forces for transformation that all of us need to be working on, one of the things we need to be careful of as we cultivate in things like in meditation we're cultivating concentration and and cultivating effort, and cultivating mindfulness, and so on, that we don't fall into the trap of uh, clinging to them. Becoming spiritual is not the goal. Rather, the relationship that we're encouraged to have we're talking about cultivating generosity, making offerings, cultivating respect, is one of trusting. Trusting in these qualities. Trust is is a soft power. It's not one of the ten Baramis, but it is the first of what in Buddhism we call the five spiritual faculties. Faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, discernment, these five spiritual faculties, Sattva, virya, Sati, Samadhi, Panya, are well known and often talked about in the tradition. The very first one is this Sattva, which translates, usually translates as faith, but for a lot of us the faith word has been kind of polluted or distorted and twisted, and so maybe it's better translated as, as trust, Faith is accurate, but trust is perhaps also okay. Confidence—I'm not sure about that. Confidence is more what comes as a result of of uh, accessing this this um, faculty. Uh, we, we feel confident, and that confidence fuels our spiritual practice. But but this quality of heart, this quality of mind, that this facility that human beings have to trust is tremendously important. And so in, when we work on these different spiritual qualities, and work on energy, work on mindfulness, work on concentration, work on insight, develop wisdom teachings, yeah, to also remember how do we work on them. Yeah. Uh, particularly for us in our a materialistic society where there's such a strong inclination to get and to hold and to own and to possess and we make such a big thing out of my personality, my qualities and my problems and so on, that if we're not careful we can we can spoil the otherwise good effort that we're making. And so one of these soft powers that we need to consider is trust, santa, really to really consider it in our outer world, to consider it inwardly, to consider what it is, and to see how it functions, to see how to develop it, to see how to protect it, yeah, so it's tremendously important and it's not necessarily again like some some of the hard powers I was talking about. It's not necessarily obvious. I sometimes think of of faith or trust as being like the fragrance of a flower. That you know, like it, you've got a rose bush. The thorns of a rose bush. I mean, you you can get that. The thorns are obvious. You can get spiked by the thorns or or the, the woodiness of honeysuckle, the woodiness, you know, honeysuckle is very beautiful, and there's this, you know, the very woody things are very tough and get blown around but they survive this the strong, woody nature or the the vibrant colour of spring flowers, like at the moment, that are all coming out a bit early. Uh, you can get that, you can get the colour. But the fragrance, it's not yeah you it's not quite the same. it's more subtle isn't it? but yeah, the fragrance of honeysuckle yeah. that's the big part of it, isn't it? the fragrance of honeysuckle the fragrance of the spiritual life yeah. if we could think of faith as something like that it's it's very important but it's not necessarily so obvious and if we don't stop and learn how to value faith or trust or sadha then we can lose it so we we need to really we need to really protect it to come to understand it what it is how it functions how to cultivate it and to protect it to contemplate that it's faith that brought us here it's trust we don't know we don't know there's any point in taking up the spiritual exercises we don't know that the Buddha had it right I mean the Buddha 2500 and something years ago and you go to the garden centre and see all these goofy looking Buddhas or even at Tesco's these days they sell Buddha images and people sometimes stick incense in the Buddha's head and sometimes they use it as a doorstop. and what is it with the Buddha anyway is the Buddha you know, you know he was this Indian guy and you know, what is it about the Buddha he's kind of popular Richard Gears into the Buddha and So what do we know about the Buddha? Well, we don't know that much about the Buddha. We don't know that much. They didn't have computers in those days. They didn't even write stuff down, important stuff. They just memorised it and recited it. It was 500 years after the Buddha died before they really started to write things down. So who knows, really? But we trust, don't we? We trust in something. There's something there we recognise... There's something that's lasted two thousand five hundred years that that, that that rings true. That and so we trust in the Buddha. It's the trust that brought us here. It's trust that introduces us. It's trust that motivates us to pick up the spiritual disciplines. And, and if we don't protect that trust, well, we can lose it. And and so it happens on the spiritual journey. That, we may have trust, or confidence, faith in the beginning but as we, the, the heart knot of me and my way starts to untangle and energy starts to get released it's not necessarily comfortable, painful, beautiful energy sometimes it's quite the opposite it's very confusing, disorienting, painful energy it's been locked away in our habits of clinging well, how do we sustain ourselves? well, a lot of information, a lot of ideas, maybe is not good enough. In fact, anybody who's lived this spiritual life for very long knows that it's trust, it's faith that sustains us. And it's not the same as belief. Beliefs are perhaps something more to do with what goes on in our heads, concepts, ideas. But trust is a heart. Quality. It's a feeling and it's profoundly important. Yeah. To use another image, I find fits when we're contemplating trust. To me, it's like when you're learning how to float. When you go swimming in the ocean and you're doing swimming as I used to like to do, swimming long distance, and you get tired, what do you do? You just roll open your back and just float. Breathe and float and just. The water holds you. But the first time you learn how to do this, well, we don't know we can do it. In fact, there's a good reason to suspect that we can't do it because water, you know, it's not like this solid oak floor we've got here. If you lie down the solid oak floor here, there's all sorts of good reasons to strongly expect that you're not going to fall through it. It's going to support you. But floating on water... How do you do it? Well, those of you that have done it know that you've got to let go of distrust. We've got to let go of distrust until the breathing becomes just right, relaxed breathing, and then, sure enough, the body floats. The water does hold us, but it takes this disposition of trusting rather rather than what? if we want to understand the faculty of trust uh, one aspect of understanding is to see what happens when we don't have trust when we don't trust in a relationship but we've got to live with somebody what do we do? we try to control controlling, compulsive willful controlling is what the deluded ego does and that's what the deluded ego is really masterful at: is controlling, willful controlling, manipulating. It loves it. It loves to be in charge. And in fact, it's the pain of this compulsive, willful controlling that, for many of us, uh, motivated our doing this. It's it's just so inadequate so unsatisfactory and so energy extravagant to always be trying to control life and it just doesn't work trying to trying to control or trying to control the body I mean that's already difficult enough the thing gets old on you and painful things don't work like you want them to we take this body so seriously this is me, this is my body look in the mirror and you know, take photographs of it and post photographs to people. Like, this is me. and We actually haven't got a lot of control over it. Mm. You maybe, you know, wash it and keep it clean and exercise it. And that, but you can't stop it from getting sick. You can't stop it from getting old. I mean, you can't stop it from dying. Mm. So that's a failure our compulsive tendency to want to control the body. It just doesn't work. It's not actually mine. It's an aspect of nature. And the mind, the, you know, our moods, my goodness, trying to control our moods. And you, you, know, you get into a you get into a bad mood and it's just thoroughly inconvenient to be in a bad mood. You've got to go for an interview or you've got to see somebody and you're just feeling really grumpy and miserable. And... and you know, try to snap out of it it just doesn't work maybe sometimes to some degree you've got some willful control over it you might want to put a lot of energy into becoming masterful at controlling but sooner or later we're going to fail, it just doesn't work that way, like the body we can't control our moods you you lose somebody you love and and there's gut ripping sadness emerges, even if it's somebody that you expected to pass away. When they've gone and there's this sadness emerges, it may not be convenient. You can't control it. Anger, somebody who we thought we could trust betrays us. Anger comes up, and you say, I've got to get out of this, so been doing all these spiritual exercises all these years, I should know better than this. Well, all this, how we should be, uh, trying to control, doesn't work past a certain point. But that's what the deluded ego does. Yeah. And if we don't have conscious capacity for trusting, then maybe we'd we'll end up being a victim of this addiction, this habit of controlling all the time. And as we get older, maybe it gets more difficult. More and more denied life that we feel we have to control. And how are we going to meet it? Well, the spiritual solution to that is meeting it with conscious faith. Not naive faith, but a conscious faith, inspected faith tried and tested, cultivated capacity for trusting. Uh-huh. Trust has the has the potential to outshine these habitual tendencies of controlling. Uh, but this is not something to believe in, this is something to cultivate. And we cultivate it uh, in our outer relationships with the world and also our inner world. And those of you that have our calendar hanging on your wall or sitting on your desk will have seen the photograph of our monastery in Thailand, Wat chart, Chant. And a whole large crowd of monks gathered there for probably evening chanting, I think it is. And, and the quote underneath is a, a verse of Ajahn Chah's teaching where he says something like, because there's many of us living together doesn't mean we have to have disharmony. A millipede has got many legs but it doesn't have any difficulty walking. That's a typical Ajahn Chah image to help us understand a principle. The millipede doesn't have to consult every leg before it moves it. There's a a form, there's a, a manner in which it all just happens and Ajahn Chah is pointing out that If we have the right faculties in place, if we approach in the right manner, then even though there's many of us living together, spiritual community just happens. And one of those faculties, one of those very important faculties, is trust. We trust in the teaching. We trust in each other. We trust in the community. We trust in the training. We have as monks and nuns, we have, as you probably all know, got Boodles are rules that we are supposed to be familiar with and hopefully are good enough familiar with, and and we trust in these rules. We don't necessarily see the point of them. Certainly when you're starting off in the training, there's all these rules, do this, don't do that, and what's the point of that? Well, if you try to figure it all out, it can give you a serious headache and be extremely frustrating, huh? Whereas if you look ahead of you and see those who have applied themselves to the training and realised the benefit for themselves, say, well, I'll just trust in them and see what happens. Those of you that have gotten yourself trained in Alexander technique, uh, what's the point of lying on the floor with your head on a telephone book? I mean, what's that all about? Uh, Well, other people have done it and it seemed to work. Well, it's not just the telephone book and it's not just lying on the floor. There's more to it than that. That's the form. Uh, But the spirit, the energy, the point, the relevance of Alexander Technique is something else. It's something to be experienced. It requires a trusting disposition and a letting go. Similarly, living in spiritual community, it takes a trusting disposition and a letting go. Yeah. When somebody joins the monastic community, for instance, there's no contract. The preceptor doesn't get the, the ordinance to sign a contract or to pay money, at least not in our communities, to, to stay in the monastery. It's based on trust. and The, the preceptor will give the training to the applicant and trust that they will respond, they will meet it with the right attitude, with the right effort. And Every fortnight, uh, when the, we come together as a spiritual community and recite all our training rules and what the glue that keeps it together is trust. There's nobody going around policing the community, nobody checking up on... I don't go into everybody's room and see that they... They're behaving themselves, but rather the spirit of spiritual community, uh, a profoundly important aspect of it, is trust. Yes. But this again, it has to be emphasized, it's mindful trust, conscious trust. No. Uh, it's not a naive believing uh, that doesn't serve in the same way. No. So trusting in each other trusting outwardly also trusting inwardly trusting in ourselves there's a verse where the Buddha said yeah. you are your own refuge or oneself is one's own refuge how could it be otherwise yeah. the Buddha is not inviting us to just trust in the teacher just trust in the teachings just trust in the community but also, in fact, ultimately, these are to teach us how to trust in ourselves. You know, just like kids, you know, ideally, have got trustworthy parents. They they, they don't trust their parents, so they grow up in a state of anxiety and don't develop properly, and the potential for all sorts of beautiful possibilities is. They're deprived because they don't grow up in a trusting, safe environment. Yeah. But children don't grow up with their parents and become attached to their parents, yeah. ideally. Yeah. Yeah. The, the relationship of trusting is, serves a purpose so the child can grow up and become an adult that is in a position to be able to realise their potential in life. And, and, and Similarly, with... Uh, In the spiritual life, we have the teachers, we have the teachings, we have the spiritual community, we have each other's company to encourage us. We trust in this, but the point of it is to grow up and realize that potential we have for for really trusting in ourselves. Now, this is not trusting in the inflated, exaggerated sense of self-importance that is the nature of the deluded ego and this is rather, as I say, trusting yourself, it's talking about the direction of investigation, the direction to be seeking. We're seeking freedom. The Buddha wasn't telling us that the freedom is by believing in him or believing in what he said or believing in anything outwardly. The direction to be seeking freedom is inwards, in understanding for ourselves what it is, where it is and how it is that we distort our seeing, our inner seeing, our consciousness. How do we distort, disfigure the heart so that it expresses itself with greed, aversion and delusion rather than radiant wisdom and compassion? The radiant wisdom and compassion that was exemplified by the Buddha and all the great teachers... That's why we bow to the Buddha. as a, Not because we project onto the Buddha all our ability, uh, but rather that we show been showing respect and showing trust to the teacher and the teachings that within us, that potential becomes activated, becomes quickened. But again, to emphasise, we're trusting that potential. All these forces, whether it's the hard powers or the soft powers... Uh, generosity, gratitude, kindness, Hmm. trusting in these forces, not becoming them, not clinging to them. And the trust gets purified, hopefully, as we go along. For for some of us, all this talk about trust and faith, it kind of leaves us a bit flat, a bit... You know, for some people, sadly the the faculty of trust gets damaged early on in life. If we're betrayed by those who we thought we could trust at the wrong time in the wrong way, it can leave serious wounding and, and before we can progress in life, in any dimension, certainly in the spiritual dimension, before we can progress very far. It's essential that we address this this faculty, the ability to trust. It's trust that enables letting go. Mm. Willful controlling is an expression of clinging, of distrust. And if we've seen the futility of that and we want to experience letting go, then it's really important that we cultivate this. And so if we are somebody who who has experienced that kind of wounding, mm. And for many it happens on the level of religion where you're sold some bad stories in the name of religion and you feel betrayed and if you're not careful you can not attend to that painful wounding and and close the door on that possibility and, and for many people they, they do, they close the door on the possibility of spiritual development and and seek fulfillment, seek contentment and things that are inherently uh, unsatisfactory and mm-hmm. other false stories. Mm-hmm. So the wise thing to do is if we hear these teachings uh, mm-hmm. the possibility of realization of perfect wisdom perfect compassion and we, that rings true to us for whatever reason and then we Engage the capacity for trusting in it, not believing in it, not just clinging to it, but trusting in it and letting that be a guiding force in our lives. And and if we do find it difficult, then yes, to find how do you heal distrust? No, one of the ways that all of us will have some experience in it is that loving kindness. Yeah. Loving kindness heals the wound of betrayal. If we get caught up in resentment and bitterness, then it just makes the wound worse. But if we hear the teachings on the potential for healing such a wound, and there's betrayal, distrust, and, and then engage it in a skillful, careful, mindful, sensitive way. Maybe we come to find out for ourselves that we can grow out of what is a perfectly understandable attitude for children, which is, I need to be loved. I need to be recognised. I need to be appreciated. There's absolutely a stage where children go through where that's important, that's how it is. But for adults... I need to be loving. I need to express appreciation. I need to express gratitude. That's what I actually need. I need to... Because in the expression of being loving, of being generous, of being grateful, and exercising that ability, we get in touch with the potential within ourselves. Hmm. So long as we dwell on the idea I need somebody to love me to make me whole or I need somebody to appreciate me to make me feel good about my life, we're exercising the view that we're somehow inherently inadequate. And you can have that view, but it's not a very good one. It doesn't end up making you feel very good. And you might end up you know, being used. There's a lot of people marketing things that purport to gratify those longings yeah. but if we engage the teachings in a mindful, skillful, trusting manner maybe we come to realise that loving kindness heals yeah. mm. forgiveness is a possibility when we experience how to trust and letting go of resentment yeah. old pain, old hurt it doesn't mean to say we're going to forget it but we don't have to keep investing resentment and bitterness into that memory. Mm. So contemplating in our own way, finding our own pathway, our own direction, but whatever approach we take, come into a personal appreciation of the, the place of this soft power of trust, of faith, of sadhar. It's not the goal in the sense that or well, certainly not the initial, the initial faith or trust that we have in practice that brought us here. That's not the goal. Mm. It's important, but the goal is as I'm mentioning those five spiritual faculties that many of you will know about: in a, a faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and discernment or wisdom. Is see that faith, on one hand, is in opposition to Wisdom or discernment, insight, that's the goal. Understanding is the goal. Realisation is the goal. And this faith on one side and wisdom on the other side, they work together. You know. and so one of the teachings that Ajahn Chah gave that I came across very early on, where he was talking about faith. And as he talked about the three different types of faith there's the initial faith which is actually kind of spurious and in a way you can get into arguments on that level but then when we practice, when we're motivated and we engage it and we work on the basis of that trusting relationship to the Dhamma and then there's some verification and faith takes on another expression so there's the initial faith then there's verified faith and then he said that the The nature of the awakened mind is also living out of faith, living out of trust. It's not that awakened beings have got their heads and hearts stuffed full of all sorts of information about everything, but basically because they've seen reality, because they've realized clear seeing, they just have a trusting relationship to everything, which puts them into a harmonious relationship with everything. So thank you very much this evening for your attention dhamma dhamma vadakata sadhu karang dhamma se sadhu